What a weekend. Whoa. Indeed. You just got cosplay marathons. I'm at work events. We're coming together finally for a little Sunday morning comic sesh. So let's get right into it. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And in case you're new to the podcast, that was, and I'm Justin. I'm not Justin. <laughs> I gotta say something stupid to make you laugh. Yeah, no, it's great. I love it. So it's Sunday morning. It's a little bit later than we would normally record. Days later. We've had a marathon couple of days, week, I'd say. You know, Alicia's cramming away in the cosplay closet, corner, whatever. Y'all, I have made costumes, and I have understood that they generally take longer than I anticipated. But for some reason, this round of costumes is just really... I think it's because I've learned more, and I'm... I'm. You're holding yourself to a higher standard, yeah, and you're trying my, new stuff. Yeah, making new things, holding myself to a higher standard, not skipping steps, just really doing it right, and it <laughs> takes a long time. Well, and also, there's like, things aren't showing up that we ordered, and so we have to adapt, and there's the volume of cosplay costumes that you're working <laughs> yeah, on right now. Yeah, I'm working on like four or five costumes at once. But sometimes that helps to sort of... Free your mind. Like, you know, work on one thing, and then while that dries or curates, work on something else. So it has its ups and downs. But anyway, it'll all be ready and done for New York Comic Con, which is this coming weekend, which is so exciting. Yeah. I mean, in another non-Marvel-related news piece, we were at the Hocus Pocus 2 premiere, and that was another reason why this week has been marathon crazy, is we drove to and from New York City, watched a movie, and hung out. Yeah, that was really awesome. Um, We went for my Winifred cosplay was the invite. And then I had to make Justin a Billy cosplay so that he could join join the fun. Um, So that added into the mix. But it doesn't matter why we're late. It doesn't matter that we're late. It matters that we're here. And late is relative to just the standard we normally hold ourselves at. Know that we're leaving here for New York on Wednesday, so I don't even know when we're going to record next week. Yeah, next week's episode, who knows what it's going to be. We are going to be hanging out with some podcasting friends. No guarantees that we're recording anything, but if you are a Patreon subscriber, I will be making some short little videos throughout the weekend and getting those up on our Patreon. And for those of you who haven't had afterthoughts in a couple of weeks, that's why. Comic-Con crazy. It's coming. It's coming. But anyway, here's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Marvel Unlimited, number 54. Marvel Voices Comunidades, number one. Gambit, number three. AXE Avengers, number one. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 10, and X-Men, number 15. Wow. When you have more non-X-Men books than X-Men books, you know something's wrong. You know those are getting a high-level overview. We've been, we've been diving a little too deep into this event. No, but it's important to get the full scope, I think, of for- the event for understanding purposes. Yeah. So let's start with X-Men Unlimited. Wait. Alicia, what about the news? What about the news? You're going to skip my my newsman style? Never. There was Hasbro PulseCon 
on Friday and Saturday of this week. Oh, man. This weekend. What a crazy weekend. What a crazy weekend. Some <laughs> reveals and new figures coming out that people lost their minds. People, including me. Oh, snap. Basically confirming the leaks that came out last week from Rectangular that we will be getting the Jim Lee training suit lineup of the X-Men team from Uncanny X-Men number 275, that classic cover. Well, that's exciting. Right. We saw the first release, a Wolverine. A Wolverine. Obviously, uh -huh. we need a Wolverine. The one that wasn't mentioned in his training uniform. Look at her face. A Wolverine. And it comes with two face sculpts. One has quickly become my favorite Wolverine face sculpt. And another one that was like kind of cool. <sighs> what makes it different than the other Wolverines, The Justin? costume. The costume and the faces. The faces are different. Yeah. They're one of them is. What is it doing? Screaming, yelling, crying, laughing? Everything you're doing right now with your eyes. <laughs> Listen, I'm not judging you. I just think there are so many Wolverines. I can't believe they make so many Wolverines. They make a Wolverine with every wave for the most part. So crazy. Because Wolverine sells. Oh, he has lipstick on. <laughs> beautiful. He's beautiful. Is that the one? That's the one that I have one or two of already. I was going to say, that's the, that doesn't look new. No, but that's, I am glad to have another one to put on one of my many other Wolverines. Anyway, this isn't the Wolverine <laughs> podcast. This isn't the Shame Justin's Action Figure Addiction podcast. This no, is no, the, no. I mean, that's not even the highlight. That's probably the low light of the wave reveal. Because what is, what's the highlight? The what's highlight, the at least for most folks, because I have a Dark Phoenix, but... To get another Dark Phoenix, to get a retro-carded Dark Phoenix, that's been something that everyone's been looking for for years. Years, I tell you. That's the hot take, baby. Spiral with her six arms. Okay. Avalanche. Finally Ooh. getting an avalanche to go with his boyfriend, Pyro. Nice. Multiple man in his more classic uncanny look, his murile look. Nice. Long shot. With a couple of details that are different from the box set. I don't know why they're doing this. They did a three-figure box set of mm -hmm. Mojo, uh, Longshot, and Dazzler. And then they lied and said it was a four-figure box set included a little Wolverine. But a little Wolverine. Add it to the list. It's another Wolverine. But now they have a, a single-pack Mojo up on Hasbro Pulse and this single-pack Longshot on Hasbro Pulse. It's like, why, why am I buying this three-pack if I could get these single-pack? I don't know. I'm going to open the box Dazzler. anyway. I already have that Dazzler, just not as new. Well, not everybody is you, Justin. Everybody is me. <laughs> and the last one that was revealed relative to X-Men is the VHS box of Cyclops, which looks really great and is the last of that line in 2022. Well, look at that. Very, very exciting stuff over here. I mean, don't even gloss over the fact that Deadpool 3 was announced with Hugh Jackman oh coming back. Oh my God, we cannot, we cannot gloss over it. I was at the Hocus Pocus premiere as you were making googly eyes at Bette Midler and I was just like, wait, what? What? <laughs> Bubs? Bubs? I just especially really enjoyed the dynamic between the two of them in those little promo videos they yeah. did the one where the music plays over them talking about stabbing each other yeah and they're just stabbing each other and it just felt very reminiscent of the comic that we just read which made me feel excited for their dynamic well together. and the fact that in the first video ryan reynolds is actually reading that comic on the toilet mm -hmm. ben percy and adam kubert lost their minds when they saw that so cool 
Now the other things, I mean, there's a there's a reprint of a Wonder Man and Beast story. It's actually not a new one. It's an old story. Everybody was like asking, oh, I wonder what one Ma- Wonder Man is going to say about his best bud in his genocidal mania. Oh, well, he's not going to say anything. He's not going to say anything new because it's a, an old issue. Road to AXE is up on Marvel Unlimited. So if you're looking for a little bit more lead in into the big event that we're talking about now, that's up there as a reading list. And we got a first look at New Mutants 31. We didn't have a poll because there was only one Krakoan X book. So X-Men wins. X-Men wins, 100%. Look at that. Wow, our first wow. 100%. First 100% I, I almost... that we didn't give you any say in. <laughs> this isn't a democracy. <laughs> but it is. We usually let people vote. It's whatever it is. It is what it is. Let's talk about X-Men Unlimited. All right, let's talk about it. So... We do a nice job of having each of these individual issues give us their perspectives. Everybody gets to the beach. And then Monet is like, all right, y'all didn't read these books. Let's get a little brain connection to, yeah. to overgloss the memories. I didn't read these books. So tell me what you've been doing while I've been hanging out with Avalanche and Administrator Percy. And uh, then we realize these... These guys, they're not good guys, and everyone's aware that their little gas accelerates mutant power. So hold your breath, because they're releasing some more. And not everybody is so lucky to not breathe it in. Surgeon Armor and Micromax going off, making... An overpowered. Apparently, Micromax has unstable molecule underwear, but nothing else. No, nothing else. Everything well, else goes. Well, it seems like his underwear is is his regular clothes, and and I I feel that everybody who is a mutant on Krakoa just shops in an unstable molecule store. Like all their clothes are made of I mean, unstable molecules. Be. However, he was wearing a gala outfit, so he's saying he didn't spring for the extra money for his gala outfit. What? Was he? I mean, he's got a trench coat on and what looks like his regular suit. Justin, suspend thy disbelief. Sure. Um, Snakes. Anyway, gases. Yeah. It's just it's just a basically a, a big epic battle issue that leads us to the main event, which is the goal of this whole attack was so that Gorgon would destroy Krakoa, essentially. Yeah. Administrator Percy wanted this to incite... A worldwide incident with Krakoa to blame that Gorgon would attack people at the gala, which I think is kind of an interesting perspective, especially knowing Hydra, snakes, Gorgon, all yeah. those connection points, and really sets up this group as another player in the I Hate Mutants Club. Standout panel. Ah, uh, yes. When Surge yes. is lifted up to release some of her electricity and our My cast exterminator friends. of exterminators are like, wait, what? They got somebody else to do the fireworks? We're all just standing here. Rude. But basically now we're we're led up to what could be the big ending battle for this. It says to be concluded. Written by Steve Fox, art by Alan Robinson, colors Carlos Lopez, letters Josephino. VCs Josephino. Moving on. Oh. Any thoughts? I mean... I called this, right? I said, and each one's going to give us their little meeting up to this spot, and then we're going to go from that spot. And I, I think I even said how many issues were left a yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, you definitely called it. I think it is building, and then it makes sense that it's concluded. There is a part of me that felt that it could have concluded in this. In, sure. In that, like, 
not much really happened, but it's an Infinity comic and they're super quick and we got to see some epic battles and we got to have that funny little moment and, you know, that's good. We got more info, so I'm happy with that. We're diving into one of the stories in Comunidades. Just one. Shark Girl's Day Off. There's also, before we get into it, there's a really interesting interview with Fabian Nicieza, who has written a number of X-books over his career, and details just how he got involved in Marvel, the different roles that he held, and the way that he kind of was able to jump into his roles as writing X-Men and other titles. That's cool. Check that out, y'all. So Shark Girl. At the Oceanic Fest. She's just living her best life on the beach. You know, taking some time. She's got a Spider-Man towel. She's eating a snack. The seagulls get up in her business. And then who comes to, to, you know, ruin the party but Namor? I mean, ruin the party, but also I'm upset. No, you know, having your trident stolen, that's valid. You can be upset. I I love the what in the Krakoa? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just now going to be an exclamation. I actually am a fan of the angry octopus that joins. Yep. Namor on his journey. Yeah, those beady eyes as Namor coming in. Emperor of the Deep. Wow. It's just this misunderstanding as they fight and then gradually become a team up. All right. No. So you're searching for something and then you leave. Cool. All right. Cool. So let's do it together. And, you know, this diver found this trident, whether he knew what he was stealing or not. I mean, you find something in the water. You find something in the water. I guess it's different because Namor's habitat is the water. So I right. guess, you know. Right. I mean, I guess if you weren't aware of Namor's existence, you might think it is an artifact of some kind. And and just the fact that Namor claims dominion over all the ocean. All of it. So any diver is technically stealing from Namor. That's true. But they find the diver. They clear up the situation. The crown is given to Namor, but only if Shark Girl will be his queen. Oh, yeah. And the the celebration continues. Yeah, it's a nice last panel page. Oceanic Fest 2022. I think the biggest takeaway for me here in this issue was Shark Girl's conversation about being of the sea and of the land. And I thought it was a nice kind of nod to the fact that she feels that she's not just of one people mm-hmm. and that she she has a human side and she has a mutant side and she likes to live her life as a melding of those two sides. Right, which is something that Namor often struggles with mm-hmm. and which side he's going to feed into. I also thought it was interesting. So Namor coming into the MCU mm. played by a Mexican actor. Mm-hmm. This is an issue celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month historically Namor, the comic character, has not been of Hispanic descent. Mm. But to have him included here in this kind of a nod to where things are going, I don't know if that was intentional, but that's just yeah, stuck nice out to me. When, written by Zoraida Cordova, art by Yasmin Flores Montañez, and Frank Williams on colors. Letters, Ariana Maher. VCs, Ariana Maher. That right. cover by Lucas Wernick. Loving mm, that cover. Covers, Lucas. Amazing. All right, it's time to talk about Gambit. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gambit. Gamby Gams, as you call them sometimes. Gamby Gams. Yeah, Look that at this cover. Warhawk, as we 
learn his name. I didn't know his name last issue. The little summary in this in this issue gave us a lot of insight on things we had questions about last issue. Yeah, Marissa, Marissa, Warhawk. Warhawk. But it's just like his his go to move is throwing a car. Yeah, I'm well, gonna throw a car at you. Well, you, know. you made me mad. I'm gonna throw a car. I gotta throw a car at you. Shall we dive in? Page turn noise. Gambit. Our our not title page that looks like a title page. With a little dive in that gives us our names of all of our key players. And now, Remy's Ruse, a very different Gambit. Written by Chris Claremont, art by Sid Cotain, colors by Espen Grundenjern, letters Clayton Coles. VCs Clayton Coles. You know, it's cool that she's wearing this, but how exactly does it fit her? I don't know where the boob cups came from. Right. I mean, I, you know, you could say unstable molecules, but this is before he's joined the X-Men. And unstable molecules are a invention of Reed Richards and a co-opting shared science between him and the X-Men. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, it fits her really nicely, Entirely. though. Entirely. But, you know, we're going to do that little suspension of disbelief here. And also, where did uh, Remy get the second suit? Under the first one. Oh, layers. But either way, I mean, I think it's very sweet of him. Yeah. And also, it's cool. Gearing her up as we start to do this big mission. But first, we have to test and demonstrate the fact that, hey, it's bulletproof. So yeah, let me shoot I'm you at close shoot range. shoot you right in the chest. Just, I can't tell you it's bulletproof. I need to show you it's show, bulletproof. Show, don't tell. Yeah. And I think that, for me, is a cool, I don't think I knew that his costume was bulletproof and the differentiation of like where the suit covers her head is also bulletproof. But if you get shot in the face, you know, you're in trouble or stabbed. Can't Mm, be stabbed. Can't be stabbed because it can't stop a blade, but it can stop a bullet. And that I do not understand. So it can stop force, but it can't stop sharpness i think the sharpness could cut through some of the fibers in the way that it's designed and or connection points kind of like um batman Mm -hmm. is that i think it was the dark knight where it had like disconnected plates so Mm -hmm. that he had more movability but it was more vulnerable to knife fight got it got it but they're going in they're gonna save the day well they're planning you know yeah marissa and gambit you know i'm gonna marissa's gonna get sent in with the distraction play as gambit the thief man is going to steal these people. And I feel, you know, I understand the setup. Gambit's a thief. She's a Marine. However, it seems like the more difficult job is fighting all the bad guys. I don't know. It depends on how many people Solars keeps with him to protect the In hostages. this issue, it seems like the more difficult job was fighting the bad guys. And Remy only really had to fight once. Yeah, but it was a big fight. Mm-hmm. And he ended up having to fight Warhawk anyway, so. So did she. So anyway, Warhawk and the bad guys are hanging out, chit-chatting about their plan, about how no one can get in. Well, he's worried about Gambit, too, as he should be. You know, this is, he's, he's a big deal. He's like, yo, you usually have me busting up regular people. Pretty sure this guy's got powers. Yeah, I saw that he has powers, but I don't know. I'm suspending my disbelief. Maybe it was just a trick. <laughs> Marissa's mom, Gabriella, has been pulled in to Aurora's mindscape, meeting with her year generations older grandmother. I do like this. I do like that 
she was able to be taken in here as like a way of being in a safe haven while yeah. they were protecting their mental state. Yeah. And still coming up with a plan on their end as well. Right. So to be able to network, to to plan, to look, and also to look at Aurora's creepy thunder sky face. Yeah. But also it's it's cool that they have a way to communicate that the people right. who are holding them captive can't hear, you know? Yeah. And I do love the black and white oh, I grayscale tones in this. Yeah. The art of that dreamscape, astral plane, whatever it is, is really great. On to some scrapping, as Marissa has her own awesome fight sequence, kicking people, punching people. She's just taking them down. Guns firing everywhere. Sniper no sniping. Returning the fire, shooting Solaris back in the face. Because he's like, oh, yeah, I got her. I'm great. And then he runs away. Like oh, a little no. baby. And as she, like... <laughs> congratulates the armor oh, i'm sorry i was talking bad about you armor i love you and you too gun you're the best as well punched right in the face that punch looked like it hurt yeah well especially like where's he coming down from warhawk from the sky yeah that, that's where the hawk comes from right that's where the the hawk in his name is that he falls from the sky often must be these two battling it out Going back and forth. What's going to happen? Who's going to win? She's taking she's taking a few hits here. Yeah, I mean, classic bad guy offer of a quick and painless death. Right. Uh, make it, uh, no. Probably not. Yeah, well, then I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to take your suit, because it'll also form to my body. Because magic. Magic. He's literally just tossing her around and then realizes her role. The brutal leave-behind message to the other guys like, hey, I need to go handle the bigger gun. But just keep fighting. Just her. keep fighting and stab at her. But no guns. You know all these guys are dead. You yeah, presumptuous jerk. Like, yeah. get out of here. She was fighting you. She can definitely take them. And look at all these guys. Look at all these guys Gambit took out. Look on okay. the inside of the mansion. Yep. Sneaking I see in. Him. You're right. He's here to save his friends. <laughs> As Solaris is fighting him with a candlestick. Candlestick. I do love the detail of the card that he's charging in that one small panel. You know, you don't often see, all right, it's a five of clubs. That's cool. Mm. As we get our big showdown, squaring off against Warhawk. Warhawk throwing this boulder at the hostages just to distract Gambit and come at him from behind. Yeah, well, you know, bad guy's going to do what bad guy's going to do. And Gambit goes off. Cards everywhere. I love this panel with him throwing in every single direction. I like that he's like, all right, fine. I'm going to take my stick out. Just jab you in the gut. You didn't know I had this hand-to-hand combat situation. Both staff sitch. Boom, boom. In the gut, in the crotch, in the face. Yeah, but whatever happens, I'm going to kill this girl, says Solaris. No, you're not. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what's going on here, but Ro looks happy, so we're good. You know, this merging of the planes as they're somehow attacking from the astral plane and especially this double panel spread. Like, it is epic. So It's th- so beautiful. She's just attacking with her lightning from the astral plane while he's Solaris is distracted by this appearance of people. It's so cool that she at least can be connected to her powers here. You know, like, I think this is a really interesting way for her to still have some abilities in this book while she's in a time frame where she's lost her abilities. Right. And also, yeah, the art on this spread is so cool. 
Love it. I also just love, you know, now that the the battle has been won and yeah. we're at a campfire and yep. and Roe is just yeah. Honestly, I think this may be my, one of my favorite versions of Aurora. She's just like heavy metal excited. The MTV shirt. So good. So good. And I like also the moment that her and Gambit have where he's like, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. She's just, you know, for she's, now. She's just You're a forever. Right, right. We're partners. We're, We're doing the family, thing. We're family, That's just my girl right now as we end off. With a merging storyline. Dun, dun, dun. And a reminder. Hey, yo, Bounty still has some things coming up. Bounty's coming for you, Gambit. She's the quilted quicker picker-upper. Oh, no. She's going to get you, Ragin' Cajun. Oh, no. What'd you think? I thought it was a really fun issue. I really like the story. I like the art. I like the character dynamics. I liked seeing the practicality of, of how we're going to have this non-mutant help fight and also you know even just seeing her in the sense i mean i know there was a mention to ooh maybe she knows what it feels like now to be a superhero but the fact that she is a non-powered person fighting mm-hmm. these also non-powered people like aside from warhawk the other guys are just goons right. so she ha- has completely has the ability to Go to off. take them on and so should. Seeing her in the fight, seeing the astral plane more, um, furthering the Gambit bro relationship, like all of it, I thought was really fun. And yeah. it moved along pretty nicely. Yeah, we had a question from Fabio of asking if this Gambit series is worth it. You know, is it interesting? I love it. I think so, for sure. Yeah. You know, normally we save the questions for the podcast itself but i was like no i need i need to type out this full response no, no it's unusually good it yeah, is it's really great and that's prefaced by the fact that i have been lukewarm slash not liked a lot of claremont's modern work and mm-hmm. this feels like it just resonates with everything character wise that he's working with and had been working with at the time that these characters were being introduced yeah i think it's a really great story it's really fun and i totally say it's worth the read and i don't normally get as invested in non-krakoan books so it's true she's turned Shh. tell no one on to axe avengers number one sure let's do it here's our friend tony on the cover our friend tony it's a loose term yeah our acquaintance tony stark he's on the cover i really like the detail in this cover in his facial expression, you know, I can really see he looks so sad the stress and old, on his yeah. face. Yeah. So so weathered. Shall we dive in? We shall. Page turn noise. <laughs> Avengers, X-Men, Eternal, Avengers, AXE. Written by Karen Gillan, art by Federico Vicentini, colors, Dean White, letters, Corey Petit. VCs, Corey Petit. We're digging in. We're diving in. We're here with the progenitor who's giving you that thumbs down thumbs down everyone thumbs down to your face who is that standing there yeah i noticed that too maybe that's wolverine also on the outside coming in with solemn or it's solemn that he left that was one question that i had right so the wolverine story we have him and solemn coming to attack the progenitor and then wolverine is also everywhere in this event doing everything 
Yeah. If only we had this multiple Wolverines. Looks, this, per- <laughs> <laughs> this person looks like they have long gray hair, though. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know who they are. But either way, we're actually inside and uh, inside the progenitor, and we're, we're not having the best time as far as Avengers, X-Men, Eternal get-togethers go. Well, you know, he's outnumbered. He just feels like the fact that I, I should have more teammates in this book, but they're all dead, apparently. Yeah, unfortunately, Tony, they are um, not of this world anymore. Yeah, well, The Avengers on... are the only team without instant resurrection, right? So Yeah, and, and interestingly, I believe Tony can resurrect, and now, as we saw last Judgment Day issue, so has Cap. Yes, but that's not a permanent... Uh, Ability for Cap. It was a one-time thing. We'll see. Okay? One time. We'll see. I don't know how you're going to do that. Literally everyone saw him die. Let's not talk about it. We're here to to talk about this issue. Sinister's ready to be an Avenger, though. Yeah, right. Because that's a good idea. Because that'll work. They don't even want him on the Quiet Council, let alone on another premier hero team. Oh, Sinister. I just love the banter back and forth between them. Yeah. Is good, a good conversational issue, I thought. Yeah, with some action points as we get to this attack from the insides. Who knew that the Celestial had demon spider aim babies? Yeah, just a little antibody cooking up to protect ourselves. You got to watch out for the cold weather and any parasites that may be inside. Any super-powered people trying to take you down from the inside out? As Sinister tries to unleash something that he had cooked up previously when he had plundered the Dreaming Celestial back in Karen Gillan's X-Men run. Mm. <laughs> I love his reaction. Plan B, stab them, Logan. Stab <laughs> them with your claws. Classic <laughs> he's, Sinister. Oh, he's just so, he's so confident and then so not. And then so like, help me, help, help me. me. I'm just a man. I need you, Logan. Some great action. You know, Federico Vicentini, he is the artist that did X-Deaths of Wolverine. Mm. And he is also, I believe they're called Stormbreakers still. But yeah, I think so. the next crop of artists that Marvel is highlighting, That's he is awesome. one of them. So it's He's great to great. see him here. Yeah. Yeah. I really like his work. This clap back from Jean and then she's too good for you, Tony. I'm Ugh, sorry. Just, Tony. Just back up. Tony, Tony, Tony. She's got enough men going on in her life. She doesn't need you to complicate it further. No. No. She doesn't. And I just think, you know, it's just a it's just a classic Tony quip. He doesn't, maybe doesn't necessarily mean anything by it, but it's still the point of I've got to make a sexual joke to a woman because I'm Tony Stark and That's obviously you want me. But she doesn't, Tony. She doesn't. I really appreciate, I think, in this issue, something that I haven't seen often in many of the Judgment Day issues, which is not a lot of text, not a lot of dialogue. We're just getting some beautiful art, some action with enough text to pull us through. And I did feel like I enjoyed this issue more than I've enjoyed some of the other issues because I feel like we're moving forward, right? They've got the judgment and now they're trying to do something actively. Yeah. 
Well, I and mean, not just talking about doing something, but actually doing something. And it's focused on one particular character as we're going through this, right? So it has that ability to further Tony's story or, or at least check in with him emotionally, where I feel like the Judgment Day issues themselves, they take on that big work of, okay, what's happening in the world? What are all the things that are then going to potentially play with as we go into the... This is also written by Kieran. Mm-hmm. Like, How many issues is this man writing? So many. It's amazing. Flashback devastation as we go through the many different people haunting Tony by the suits and what he's done to the people around them. I I love this internal narrative and his judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, perspective of Tony's character that no matter what he does, he ends up getting people killed. Right. right? And that there's not often. You know, when it comes down to his parents, it's like there's not necessarily some big crazy explanation. They just died. Right. And, and that and, sucks. And even just the conversation of him making it up that oh, maybe it was a hit. Maybe it was something else. Maybe people went after him. No, man. I mean, sometimes people die. Mm-hmm. And that's that's terrible. But it also happens. it just feels like him and the Celestial are having a heart to heart about Tony's grief and yeah. what he's carrying with him. That's how the Celestial do. The Celestial does whatever it does week to week. It's just, we'll we'll find out next time. Even Thor's getting in on this game. Right, we're visited by all of his Avenger friends. Spirits. Is this a vision of what could be? <laughs> Cap, Rhodey, Thor, Hulk, Wasp, Natasha, Pepper, Hellcat. Everybody's here. Everybody's giving him crap for who he is, basically. Sorry, Tony. Sorry, Tony, but also, like, you kind of deserve it. That's Hellcat is the one that looks like Batgirl? Yep. Okay. Patsy from Jessica Jones. Ah, yes. But the real emotional work is yet to be done. This confronting his dad and mom dying in this car crash and, and what it means to what he's been carrying with him and the fact that, yeah, all right, so we know this isn't actually Tony's father. Maybe it is because of what happens in Spider-Man later. I don't know. Right. Who knows? But also the fact that Tony's crying. Like he's he's really accepting the fact that his father is proud of him and that he doesn't have to carry this darkness over the death of his parents with him anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really beautiful moment for him. I feel like this is probably the most positive thing from the progenitor. Well, I feel like the progenitor in general, is helping people sort of look inside themselves. And this idea, you know, we see it a bunch in the Spider-Man issue of it does feel very much reminiscent of the Christmas Carol mm-hmm. and that, that final ghost that doesn't speak. And so you ask it a question and you feel like you need an answer to feel stable. Right. And so you come up with an answer, you search within yourself for an answer. So that's sort of happening here for Tony, whether it's him coming to the realization for himself of how his father actually felt about him mm-hmm. or his father actually saying it, it's giving him an opportunity to process that. Yeah. So I think this last page where we end up, so so Tony pulls himself back, right? Why are you crying? Everybody else is confused because they weren't in his head. Mm-hmm. But this idea that the progenitor has been testing him throughout this experience, that he, he really worked through some stuff, and that makes them all believe that there's still a chance, that this is still part like, like He sold everyone the fact that this is the end of the line, that this is, 
you're going to be better tomorrow, tomorrow, but you mm -hmm. never actually are better today. But maybe that is an explanation as to why it's taking so long to destroy the world because he's only giving the threat to then make you really be like, oh, no, I, I got to be better. I got to right. do something. I did like that him saying it in a way that was like, oh, it's con he's continually he's continuously passing judgment even though he said the final statement because that makes all the other books feel less pointless pointless <laughs> yeah so it it is an interesting perspective i wonder though it makes me wonder the progenitor seems like he's not a guy to go back on his word no so i do wonder like the sensibility of that like how does that actually make sense if he said i'm gonna give you 24 hours i'm gonna judge you once i pass judgment that's it like i like the perspective that oh maybe there's a way out of it because he's still judging us but i don't necessarily feel like that holds true to the progenitor as a character mm. so it's a it feels a little conflicting to me but i'm intrigued as to where it can go from here yeah, right. Well, I feel like this is like trying to open that up, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to give us some, all right, what's on the other side? What's coming? What's happening next? Because we have all of October now that we're finally here. Spooky season is upon us. Yay, it's my favorite. Uh, but then I'll say that also about like Christmas time. <laughs> Every month. <laughs> next, AXE X-Men. Focus on Jean and her judgment. Seems to be focused on the Dark Phoenix. Also true. It wasn't her, 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 yet I am fire and life incarnate, now and forever. Which part of now and forever is confusing to you? As one world burns, can Jean Grey justify her existence after having burnt another? That wasn't Ooh, her. It wasn't her, it wasn't her. What'd you think? I thought it was one of the better AXE issues. I... I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed the progression. I thought it was interesting to see a little bit more in depth on Tony and what's going on with him. I, you know, overall, I enjoyed the issue. I felt like it actually moved us forward. You know, like yeah. we were taking steps. We're inside the progenitor. We're, we're actively trying and we got a glimpse into this one portion of this battle. Yeah. I thought it was good character focus. I and the art that, was beautiful. Yeah, the art was great. Really enjoyed the action, the dynamic energy of the action sequences. Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like this was a tie-in done well, right? Because it focuses on a character's story, but ties in so relevantly to the overall big picture. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, in terms of progress throughout the issue, we're just kind of moving further into the progenitor but working through some stuff conversationally and mentally and then it, tony's having this great breakthrough for himself personally I yeah that was cool um, i'm still a fan of the event as a whole and i feel like this made me excited for the back nine you know or like the the second half of the series to, to still be coming into some new revelations and some new discoveries. Yeah, I definitely think as a whole in the event, it's not that I'm super against the event. It's that when the weeks of books are so many Judgment Day issues and there isn't anything else, you know, and I'm reading so much and it feels like I'm reading the same thing over and over. That's when I start to feel more bogged down by it. But on a week like this where there was a little bit more of a variety in what I was reading, 
it's more palatable to me. Sure. Well, I mean, that's why you don't have to read every tie-in. Well, I do, but no, the people is, don't. This is a one-time thing. We're not doing. Oh, this I again. thought you meant every tie-in issue of this arc. Yeah. Of the of I do. but not. So, what do you mean? It's a one-time thing. For the next time an event of the X Men tie into right, the right. Marvel Universe, we're not gonna read everything. Like AXE Iron Fist is gonna be the one Iron Fist issue I ever read. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But I like the people don't have to read every single tie in. But sure. for this event, mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> and we'll see about Dark Web. Yeah, but I really want to read that one. Okay, anyway, 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 anyway. We don't necessarily have to talk about it, but anyway, anyway. You got anything else to say about? Well, Warline had a couple questions okay. about Tony's role. And, and he's been reading Iron Man and also pointed out the fact that you know, Tony in Civil War, a god is what we need to win. Let's clone Thor. Tony and AXE, we need a god. Let's create a celestial. And I thought that that was an interesting point, but I also went back. It actually is Makari and Ajax's idea to create a celestial. Mm-hmm. Tony has the ability to and, you know, is always going to play in on the big, broad right. thinking. Right, needs to be like, this is also my idea. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he gets a thumbs up and Cap doesn't, Warline just thinks that Progenitor is out for Cap, hates Cap. Yeah, I agree. I think that's malarkey. Yeah, probably. Blasphemy. You know, is it just... I would say that of anything to not enjoy, this issue complicates what judgment even means much further. Yeah, so I really don't understand. Like, the more and more people get judged, the less I understand Cap's judgment. Yeah, right, because even... Iron Man's not even really judged on his actions. He's judged on how he's dealing with his actions or, you know... Right, and like... Cap is like the staple of think positive. Like he's the hang in there cat poster on your wall. Like, I don't know. I just, mm, yeah, I would agree with that. That's questionable. (laughs) I love having Sinister and Iron Man interact. I just felt like that was probably the highlight. Uh, I don't want Sinister to join the Avengers, but you know, you could, you can sneak in a Sinister clone into their ranks and, I'm not going to read it, but I'll laugh about it. (laughs) This is a good time to bring it up. Pete Woods 86 has a question totally unrelated, but with the upcoming reveal of the Peacock Man in X-Force, do you think he could be a clone of Sinister? Oh, my God. If there are so many Sinisters running around doing shenanigans, that would be great. I'm split. I just don't think that that's who the Peacock Man is. Like... I think that we we did that big reveal with Stasis that they're not going to do it twice. I don't know. So I'm split on that because the the fact that the very self-aware calling out to, oh, yeah, we know there's got to be a heart and a, a, a spade or in a club and a diamond, right? So the fact that there's four suits and we now see two of them, does that mean that there are two others? Well, what suit would the peacock man be? A spade? I don't know that that's necessarily like, you know, like what does it mean? But does it, it just seeds the potential for there to be two other prominent sinister mm-hmm. creations. Yeah, it does. But You're it, right. it also just dilutes the reveal from X-Men that he was, you know, all right, and it's all sinister. And But here's the thing. The reason we even started talking or once we started talking about our crazy expectations of who the 
who Dr. Stasis could be, we started seeing personality and ca- like other characteristic similarities between mm-hmm. Stasis and Sinister. And I would have to go back, but I don't think I got those kind of vibes from the Peacock Man. No, it was much more business oriented. Mm-hmm. He was much more, you know, but who's to say, you know, Sinister is a man of eugenics. He's a man of constant improvement and change. And wh- however long this version of him existed, it is a potential. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's totally a potential and I'm here for it. And I love crazy theories. So let's go. <laughs> I'm ready. I wouldn't be upset if it was Sinister. Sure. Spidey. Okay. Hey, it's the Amazing Spider-Man. I think I think we're going high level on this one just because, you know, the last one was relative to the mutant story because it included a handful of mutants. Right. This one is not so much. I read this and was going to read this anyway because I've been reading the Amazing Spider-Man series. But uh, in terms of relevance to the overall event, it's really just Spider-Man gets judged. It's basically the Avengers version of last week's issue. Yes. So the things that I, you know, I really enjoyed about this were... Gwen? Wait, oh, this, do you want to do a page turn noise? Well, I thought we were going high level, so we weren't getting one, but oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah, give yeah, you a, a high level page turn noise. <laughs> 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 kind of sounds like a fart, but that's okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it wasn't, okay? It was a page turn noise I made with my mouth. <laughs> Aggressive. Okay, anyway. So the things I really enjoyed were like the Peter-isms of this issue. Right. You know, the like... Okay, so if I see, you know, someone who's dead hanging around, that's right. that's that's cool. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why? Supposed no, to be having, no, no, no reason. reason. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, it just felt very, and and I feel like that has been even, even though there's a lot of criticism about this run and you know the continuity of it all, various things. I just feel like Zeb has a good understanding of the quirks of Peter Parker, mm. the heart of Peter Parker, and just the discomfort that represents us all and yeah. how he's like, oh, well, you know, I, I kind of should be there for my friends, right. but I, I don't know if I should because it's the last day of the world. Right. And I do, I do really appreciate seeing the quality of, well, no matter how I feel or what I think I need to do, I need to put the feelings of others before myself in this entire issue. That's what he's doing. Yeah. Right? He's, Going tuck shopping because that's the right thing to do because that's what his friend needs at that moment. He's going to visit Aunt May because he wants to make sure that she's okay. And Uncle Ben is judging her and that's hard to see. Even when you said tuck shop and I flipped to the next page and I saw Uncle Ben is with Aunt May as, you know, and and I don't know, it seems to be mixed as to who's that person right Mm -hmm. is it the person that knows you best is it the person that would give you judgment is it the person that would well peter in this says is he is the progenitor showing me gwen because he knows how often i think what would gwen think of me and in this instance i'm sure aunt may thinks what would ben think of with great power right great responsibility you know so that's an interesting perspective of like it's a person that you think would judge you or that you think of in your own judgment or who you're holding you know i need to be the version of myself that this person would appreciate oh god but the j jonah jameson stuff is so sweet too i freaking (laughs) i laugh so hard like him being like okay no i'm sorry i'm such a jerk all the time and it's like He's I forgive you. You know, he's a person who 
you wouldn't necessarily expect like I probably would have expected him to be like ah, the progenitor is a crock of baloney like <laughs> mo- this is just another fraud and instead he's like Spider-Man's up to it yeah instead he's like oh my gosh I'm a terrible human and I need to make amends and and just the way that Peter says you know you always think you're doing the right thing even if you do it terribly yeah is is nice we're not gonna contact Ben just yet because that's for later that's for dark web that's for dark web and I love this moment with Miles I do too I'm proud of you I'm like hey you too man I, I also can really <laughs> appreciate this whole page right. with Gwen where he's like okay well I guess I'm just gonna Go over here and be totally asleep while you're just standing over me. Not. Yeah. It's funny. It's great. We go into work. We see Kamala Khan. Do they know each other's identities? I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know that. if they know each other's identities. It doesn't seem like they do. And I just I love in this instance of both of them have someone that the other one can't see. And we don't right. know that until we see the Captain Marvel of it all. And then and it's interesting just and I don't know if this is based off of what Spider-Man would think Gwen would think mm. the fact that he's working for Norman and that's only just recently been established. And so even the, the fear in her eyes when he comes out and is revealed, it's just an interesting like how much does the progenitor know in this form of Gwen? Right. Or how much is the progenitor using it's maybe less like what he actually knows about Gwen because she's already dead and more what he's pulling of Gwen yeah, from Peter's from mind. From Peter's reaction. And so Peter realizing that Gwen sees Norman is is more how she's reacting because it's not her actual reaction. Right. And then he chases her down onto the rooftop and he's like, I'm sorry, I love you forever. And then the progenitor's like, hey, thumbs up, Peter. Hey, you're great. You have a good heart. Here's your dead girlfriend Here's for a your second. Dead girlfriend for like one second, so she can feel really confused. It's like, how did she get here? Okay, just kidding. I have to go, and then you can be traumatized forever. But good job, you passed judgment. Yeah. So Warline pointed out that there is a story that called Clones Conspiracy, which Gwen was resurrected and knew a lot about Peter's life in it, and it showed that she also knew that he was Spidey and before she died. So I don't know. Like, is this? Is this Gwen kind of like a mental in stasis, not necessarily a resurrection version of her? Is this, I, I don't know how you explain what that, how that works. Has, I don't think she was re- like in the same way that the progenitor wasn't really there. I don't think she was really there. I think it was like the progenitor kind of formed an embodiment of her as like a reward to Peter for doing all the things he did and then she goes away like i don't know that well at least at least this moment where he's like i can tell that it's actually you and and that's i, mean, I would just say that that's messed up on the progenitor's part there's a lot of things that the progenitor is doing that's messed up but well yeah when i saw this I, at first i was like how are you doing that and then when it was instantly like well i only have a second buy i was like oh that is not cool man up. that is not cool at all just to see that big beautiful heart and also to seed norman's insanity again right exactly because we need I that know, i saw her uh it changes everything in the way that was almost definitely expected because come on you're working with norman osborne i know i know Overall thoughts, big picture. Um, I really enjoyed it, and it's the second time I've really enjoyed a Spider-Man issue, and oh, I'm not. Snap. I can't. 
I don't want to commit to another comic, but I just know that we only have two issues in between now and Dark Web. What what might you miss from those two issues? This hobgoblin story. Yeah. Right. Right. Not I'll tell you. Not a podcast regular, but definitely something I might pick up and and just in the same way that I that I picked up X Men at Krakoa. I'm I if I pick up Amazing Spider Man, I'm gonna pick it up from here and I'm gonna read it. And I can't be expected to go back and read anything else or know anything else. We just have to have that as a <laughs> preface, okay? I'm just gonna do what makes my heart happy. And right now, Spider Man is fun and I'm enjoying it. I am too. I I know that people say what they say and that's fine. You can feel how you feel. Okay. I I enjoy it. I feel like. Um, there are issues. This, this was not one of my favorite of this run, but it wasn't bad. No, I didn't. I thought like it would, it really just demonstrates a lot of great understanding of Peter's character and his connectivity to this world that Zeb is seeding and building off of. And I, I just feel like as a judgment day tie in, I really liked it. Mm -hmm. You know, you get the full theme of what we were supposed to be getting what we saw with Avengers for Hawkeye, what we saw just now with Tony, you get that version for Spider-Man. And in the same way, there were a lot of really good emotional moments in the narrative structure of the judgment, right? The Uncle Ben moment with May, the Miles and Peter, the cracking of Norman was cool. It just seems really quick that that's happening. Like we're waiting all this. That's just like the beginning seed of it happening. Which He's again, just having a moment of like, did I just see something? I Right, right, right. Which, again, is kind of cool to then, all right, how much will Norman know and and play it off this mm-hmm. entire time? I just also, you know, we have the mystery of MJ and nothing revealed on that front. Right. But right. Norman is like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm crazy again. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and I also want to say, too, like, because I have had conversations with people about this run of Spider-Man and, and I think what I want to leave anybody who's questioning, you know, the run with is and and wanting to talk more about it or suggesting I read other things is this if I like this and you think other stuff is so much better than this you like that, that just means that there's opportunity for me to like even more stuff yeah. and that's cool yeah no honestly I thought that the same thing for last issue because I was like okay well I mean if this is a mediocre issue of Spider-Man and you really enjoy it then it's only up from here. Right. Right? I think Dark Web is going to ensnare you. I'm so excited for Dark Web. I'm I'm seeming to be a very big fan of Madeline's shenanigans, so... And that's not even mentioning the fact that there is a second Spider-Man title starting next week. Let's not go there because <laughs> this is an X-Men podcast. So we got we to gotta split. Oh. Graham Elkin Lane, Chad, on one side, said Spider-Man was perfection. Ooh-hoo-hoo. Whereas... E2301 Cantu said, Spider-Man is trash. <laughs> Al Pacino once said, burn this. <laughs> I mean, I love a debate. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was trash. I wouldn't say that at all. I really, I did enjoy this as a, a character study for Peter. Uh, I think that that's what's so cool about comics, though, is like, you know, different writers pull out different things that connect with different readers. And it's so can fluctuate of like what you think is good and what you think is trash and i think that's exciting that starts conversation you know yeah right because everybody's going to connect with something different Mm -hmm. everybody's going to see something different and at the end 
art is subjective, right? right? It's how you feel about it. Right. And it's your opinion. Everybody's got one. Right. <laughs> but you know what? Thanks for sharing your opposing views, everybody. Love it. Warline also wondered why is Norman seeing Gwen when he thinks that he should be judged by his son, Harry, who it's his fault, Norman's fault, that he's dead. He sold his soul to Mephisto. Well, that's mm-hmm, okay, valid. But maybe, so did we get the sense that Gwen, that this version of Gwen, progenitor Gwen for uh, Norman has been with? No. So she's just she just appears in the background right after. And I, and I feel like that might be because of his immediate influence of seeing her physically there with Peter. Right. And that's the other reason why I feel like it's got she to had be something. She had to be real because someone saw her. Right. Yeah. Uh, and someone, a human, with some additional powers, but still. A human. A human. But yeah. And I also just feel like Norman doesn't respect Harry. So why would he care what his judgment is? Right. (laughs) Like that. You have to have at least some base level of respect of their opinion. And now seeing Gwen, Gwen is making him question his sanity, which would make for a good judgment. I don't even want to tell you why Norman and Gwen have this connection. I don't want to either, because if it's something sexual, I'm out. Yep. I got to go. Gross. Yucky. Anyway. Ew. Anyway, this is an X-Men podcast, as I said earlier. So shall we talk about X-Men? Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about this cover. X-Men 15. This cover is... The threat. I love it. Uh, the returning team, the evolution of it all. The fact that I, I really enjoyed what they did with these covers. The fact that when before the Hellfire Gala had happened and the team was revealed... The only covers we saw of X-Men included the returning members. Mm. So that's why we only see Cyclops, Gene, and you even called out this is Xavier on the cover. Yes, which makes sense as you get into the issue why it would be Xavier. But at first glance, you would be confused, I think. Right. Uh, Look like sync. (laughs) All right. Shall we? We shall. Page turn noise. Governments ask you to build terrible things. It's up to the scientists to weigh what's worse, having that new toy or not having it. And I kept on returning to this as I read and reread this issue Mm -hmm. because it is really the thesis statement of what we're talking about. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Wise words, Forge. Just diving right in with the incredible art of Joshua Kassara. My God, I love that man's work. He loves jungles, and I love seeing this jungle setup and and having the details of the leaves, the blade, the the facial expression. Just, I would go on a safari with Forge leading the way, absolutely. (laughs) Let's do it. You use that machete, Forge. You show me what's what. You know, you wanted to know why I'm here on the X-Men. Follow along, Cyclops, because welcome to the vault. Bum, bum, bum. And look at my big gun. Cable's going to get jealous. Don't tell Cable I made this giant gun. This is so interesting. What what a casual, lean explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a black hole of death. No big. No big deal. I'm just going to blow this up and something's going to happen. It just it, it starts the conversation that makes you think of Forge's culpability here. What is his role in defending the nation against a threat that is a presumed threat or, or I guess a pretty, as we find out later, a known threat? Mm-hmm. 
but that we've already engaged in, in different ways that have led them to know, hey, X-Men, mutants, everyone are our opposers. This is definitely one of those places where there is a line that is very blurry. Yeah. Because the mutants know that if the children of the vault get out of the vault. Post-humanity. Po- like if post-humanity comes for them, like everyone is destroyed, not just the mutants. Everyone, Dunskis, they know that. And they know that in a couple of ways. They know that because of Moira's intelligence, first of all. Mm -hmm. But they now know that because of the connections and the the work that we later get revealed throughout this issue. Right. So they know. And it's like, do you preemptively stop that by just flat out destroying them? Or do you wait for them to... like they? Do they wait for them to make the first move? But they can't because if they make the first move, they're already done. Right. So that's where it's a difficult question. And then the other question is when you're talking about destroying them as a society. That's genocide. That's, right? that's... Yeah. That's where it gets murky and that's where it gets not so okay. Right. And, and that's where the secondary option is what right. really makes the most sense because you also have to wonder, and I don't know... Is every single being of post-humanity out to just destroy or do they have some kind of civilization where people like live and work and have children? You know what I mean? Um, not really live and work and have children. It's more raised in the machine and uh, gestating for further ability to destroy. Was <laughs> yeah. that a weird word? <laughs> no, it just it's just like thinking of them as all like they don't have parents or families or they're just like all little test tube babies of a Bas- sense. basically yeah i just i love the ben yurik rib like mm. uh, you want to go tell ben yurik you want to yeah. go tell your pal ben yurik like nah man and then explosion yeah a, a very seeming misfire and out come those children of the vault right evolved further than we've seen them before they I had just, thousands of years baby yeah so it makes me think that the gun did go off and they were able to use their displaced time to deal with it and to right. find to then like, we Well don't they know. say that. Right. They say like, Oh, your gun went off a while ago for us. Pero says that. The fact that they were able to then learn from that and come at them. Crazy. And they're immediately ready to take down these two mutants. I know there's a lot that gets revealed later, but it's just Thinking about this level of blind faith in the black hole approach, not the first time it's failed either, mm-hmm. but to only be like, oh, yeah, Cyclops and Forge, they'll be able to handle this. They can take it on. This page in particular, mm-hmm. the the back and forth between the mutants and the children. The way that Cyclops' beam just gets swirled up. Oh, and Fuego's fire. Yeah, It's oh. crazy. And it's so gorgeous. It's so beautiful. It's, it's so, so beautiful. Even just look at, look at Forge. Look at his mustache. Look how much detail is in his mustache. I feel so complex about where I'm at with him at the end of this issue, (laughs) but I've historically always loved him. Yes. And now, a title page. Take the future into your own hands. Collapse Theory. Written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Joshua Cassara. Colors by Guru EFX. Letters Clayton Coles. VCs Clayton Coles. I like and I don't like the fact that we get the the boxes for the X-Men, but not for any of the children. Oh, interesting. You're a little like, who's the who? In yeah, this who are book? the people? Hmm. But that's just a point on the way to destruction. Here's what I like. I like that as a reader, I understood from the get that this was all something that happened in some 
other life, alternate universe. Like, I like the way that this was narrated. I knew there was going to be a coming out of it, but in a way that I could just enjoy the story of it. Because Ford is talking about it in the past tense, right? right? And take in all of the art and all of the action and just be like, okay, this is happening. It's cool, but it's not life-threatening to me. It's also just interesting to think about, so... Cyclops and Forge were kind of hinting at this, the potentially obscene number of children that are in the vault. Mm -hmm. Similar to mutants, especially with the addition of Arako, that there could just be an unknown number. But the children have the added benefit of time. They look different every time they evolve. They increase their powers. It's a more intentional way of how eggs and resurrection are affecting certain mutants, which makes me believe... The moment we see later is not by accident in this issue. Mm. The Xavier upgrade that we... what he says, yeah. Right. But also, hi, Quentin. (laughs) Hey, for a saccharoonie. But you gonna be dead again. Yeah, I just... I love all of this. I love seeing all the different angles. I love the... The slow takedown of the entire Marvel Universe. Right, And, and just how much rage they have and what they're going after and doom oh yeah doom Doom dying and not even dignifying them with a scream like that was like "Mm, yep yes that was that was doom that was that was doom valhalla all of that happened but before let's go back let's go back a little bit For, for now we're just gonna go back to forge and xavier Little whiskey Chilling party. Chilling in the woods, having a floating whiskey fire. Very reminiscent of their first meeting in yes. House and Powers. In Forge's about underwater fish tank house. What could be possible with Forge's abilities, what he could do. As we're talking about that big brain energy and containment, there's at least an intent to be better than others before. Mm-hmm. Confirmation of Xavier having telekinesis. Which, Stronger after resurrection. Which has always been kind of like a, is he, does he, what? He did completely in Ultimate X-Men. So he modified himself to be able to have it is what I took out of this. I don't think he modified himself. I think it's because of resurrection. Like we've seen him use it a few times. We saw it in House and Powers when he took the drive from Mystique. We saw it in Inferno when he obliterated Nimrod. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing it even more here and and actually talking about it versus before it was just visually there so you're just saying that like every time people get resurrected their powers get stronger which is what we've been exploring with sync specifically the fact that you have the memories and abilities of your past self in a brand new body so you're turning on the lights for the first time and the lights are stronger Mm, interesting interesting all right cool well there's a sneaky little cat fox watching you (laughs) is that a wolf i don't know i like to think that everything has meaning but it could just be a detail of an animal looking on of what's happening but i'm like who is that yeah but they're talking about the containment plan pacification i know just how to do it some doors are better left unopened we're gonna put that vault in another vault Dun, dun, dun. Hey, look at this. We've seen this page before. Yeah. Let's see it again. But with the new reveal of a giant orb. A dome of sorts. I'm impressed. This is cool. It's really cool. And I love that it's like, yeah, we let them out and we let them think that they 
So from as as we go further into this issue, the way that I am imagining it is that they come out of the vaults and then they automatically get like sucked into one of those little pods and then that pod gives them an altered sense of reality similar to the pit. Yeah. And that their brain, because it seems like they think they're all connected and they're all together. Mm -hmm. So their brains are all connected, but... Well, and the fact that it's built with Krakoan technology. Right. So it's... I feel like this is what Forge is talking about when he said that that happened, right? Right. This is where we get the first handful of pages of the destruction of everything from the children of the vault because... It's what they imagined happened. They're ensnared in these pods. They are the brain and the vat philosophy of the Matrix. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, you going in there? Yeah, I'm going in. Don't worry, I've been in before, apparently. Yeah. No surprise Sink didn't want to do this. Wait, what happened? Angelica, read comics. What do you mean, <laughs> what happened? Well, she doesn't know. Okay, that's a fair question. I don't. I, I think it's an interesting question, too. I, I actually like it as a point. I wonder who else doesn't know. Is it only because she recently came to Krakoa and that's not like, a, oh, yeah, while you're here, yeah, the vault I, is a major threat. Right. I think that it's that. I think that it's if you were there, if you were around, you know what's up. But if you weren't, if you weren't directly involved, you don't know. Look, Havoc is here. He's here and he's speaking and he's in shots. Yep. And he's got his, he's got his, what David Cutler referred to as his tiara, his full tiara. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And it looks great. It does. It looks so good. That is a classic looking havoc. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things get weird on the X-Men. Meanwhile, Forge is going to take out yet another cool Forge outfit invention. And... Cool. Questionable. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to make his way right and dealing with these sentries that guard and protect so the team takes care of the guards with just more epic beautiful amazing artwork i saw a tweet from josh about him using a figure model for the dynamics specifically of this page i love it so he had posed i'd seen one of gene like right there and cyclops right there to show just how the mechanics of the body would look and work, which is awesome. I love that. Oh, Joshua Kassara, you're amazing. Put him on ice. <laughs> I love that. Was it a science joke? Oh, yeah. We're, we're playing. We're having fun. We're, we're bonding a as a time. team. This... I'll do you a solid. Yeah. Oh, are we going to, can we just be friends? I just want to be friends. Does this team have to change? And then Forge... Yeah. Crosses some lines. Well, so that I feel like is the crux of this whole issue is how many lines is he crossing in the name of science that are we going to be okay with? Are you saying that he's turning into a beast? I'm saying that he is dancing on that line and it's a beast sinister combo. You know, it's he's essentially made a chimera suit. Yes. With even more troublesome realities to it as we find later on. But Gene calling it an abomination co-opting mystique's gift don't even get me started on caliban as we find like honestly it mirrors dark beast chimera from house of 92 to just do this and then have it revealed obviously forge has been in contact and conversation with xavier i wonder to what extent Mm. i i now that you're breaking this all down and saying it i can see where you're coming from but i didn't get like an evil out of control sense from forge which is what i get more so from beast like from beast's perspective it's that the power is really going to his head and he's 
thriving in a different way because of it. And from this perspective, I feel a little bit more like Forge is being very practical. Like this is what I got to do to get the things done that I need to get done. And it's less out of a self-serving and but that's but I also that's the distinction yeah. is that it's not secret from the larger party and it's not necessarily self-serving. Right. right. So Sinister is up to his dirty deeds on his own. Beast is doing his own thing because he thinks he should be the father of Krakoa. He thinks he should have Xavier's seat, who also is a problem because they're an equal counsel. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, the fact that Xavier seems to be doing this deal with Forge on its own, I would assume Mystique does not know. Right. I would assume based on even Jean's reaction that you're co-opting her powers to be able to do this, like that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation if she ever finds that out. Right. Right. And... I feel like the really uncomfortable part is that last page reveal where we have Caliban's face and him not knowing how he's got here. The last thing I remember is us having a drink at the Red Lagoon. So he took, Forge took Caliban against his will and did something with him to make him into a part of this suit. Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah. And then also Forge is going into the vault and isn't this Darwin? I don't know who that is. Uh, it is a, a child of the vault. It could have been, you know, that's another part of the conversation is the influence of Darwin and how right. has that contributed to the upgrades that we're seeing so far. Because that's what he's saying is he's going in there to get Darwin. So he's going right. to come out. He better have Darwin with him. Right. And if they were able to use Darwin's abilities, his, his physicality in some way to merge mutant DNA with them, well, then your protection of it being a mutant's only in and out is flawed. Right, because they can get out. And we saw when we last left the vault in X-Men 18 and 19 that they were basically breaking down Darwin to an atomized level mm. to utilize his genes in some manipulative way. I never thought he died. I always thought that no. he was still there and like they're not especially a mutant of Darwin's ability. They're not going to let that go. Like no. That is their whole philosophy is to adapt, to survive. Don't talk to me about first class because I hate that one part. I like that movie, but I hate that one part. I know, I know, I know. But no, it's just we're, we're kind of we're, we're, we're in it. We're at the end, but the mutant we left behind. Mm -hmm. It's all about Forge wearing his Zordon looking shirt of Caliban's face. Well, I think the mutant that we left behind is Darwin, and yeah, it's going to be definitely. Forge's adventure to find. Which I'm very excited about. I'm so excited, and I like am, I know I've said it probably 800 times during the conversation of this issue, but I just love Joshua Kassar's art so much, and I'm so excited to see him draw the inside of the vault mm -hmm. and like all the create, because it's, it's an endless world of possibilities in right, there. Right, yeah, and... To have the opportunity to, like, we have a short list of children who are named mm -hmm. and an almost undefinable quantity of them that could be in there. Right. And especially with the amount of thousands of years that have gone by that they've been able to stew on this. You know, they were mad. They were coming for mutants before right. X-Men number one, right? Before Hickman's X-Men number one, where Serafina was out and she was in and then she retreated back in number five. And then the mutants followed her into the vault. And then they, the vaults themselves knew that 
the mutants are here and they're trying to take us down from the inside. Right. So you've just made them angry. You've yeah. kicked the hornet's nest. Yeah. That's all you've done. You've not really even gotten any new intel except for the fact that, no, they're, they're doing big things. Right. In time that we can't do. Yeah. Yeah. It's cr- it's crazy. Like everything from here is bonkers. And I'm really excited about what do you it. Think, like big picture of the issue. I mean, we're kind of already talking about it, but I, I really enjoyed the issue. I loved getting to see this like alternate version of what happened with the vault, the children of the vault and them getting out. I really like the reveal that, you know, what we've done is that we've encased the vault. So they were trapped, but then we trapped their trap inside a trap. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's cool. I like that the X-Men are getting, you know, a glimpse into this and that they're kind of questioning what's going on, which I feel like is going to be some good internal conflict storytelling coming up. I like seeing Forge, you know, the secrets that Forge has been keeping slowly start to be made aware of, like yeah. us be made aware of them. Yeah. Um, it's uncomfortable, but at the same time, like go back to that opening quote what the scientists have to do for their government. Right. And, and is it better to have this than to not have this? And yes. then if you think about, if you think about, right, exactly what you were talking about, Beast and Forge together, like, granted, they do not have the same capabilities. But if Xavier has something that he wants done and he goes to Forge and Forge refuses to do it, he's going to go to Beast and say, figure out a way to make this happen sure. because Forge won't do it and I want it done. So if Forge knows that that basically the scientists that Xavier has in his pocket are him and Beast, and he knows that Xavier wants this thing done, it's like, do I make it and have it be under my control or do I not make it and see what else, Xavier, what other yeah. lengths this, this government goes to to get done what they want done. Right. And that's sort of bringing us back to that question, which is bringing me back to what I'm saying about Forge, is that I don't know that Forge is going to go evil. Like, I don't feel that from him. Well, I don't, I'm not saying that he's going to go evil. I just, the, the choices that he's making are very uncomfortable, mm. right? Like, the fact that he's doing this to mutants unaware of the fact that he's using right. the powers. The only people that seem to be in the know are Xavier and Forge and now some of the X-Men team. Right. And that's going to further drive the stake of distrust between the X-Men and the Council. Right. Well, even the way that Forge says to Cyclops, like, there's a reason that we didn't tell you about this. Because right, we knew, like, you your... and your morals would have problems. Exactly. Well, I mean, shouldn't he, though? I mean... Well, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, that's building that tension even sure, more. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's just, can you make the biggest gun possible before they've made their bigger gun? Right. And how many people have to die to make the gun bigger? Right. Yeah, no, I thought this was a really great issue. Likely one of my favorites of this run as a whole. The whole, t- all the new ideas and interesting seeds, Forge fell into the deep end in my mind, like mm-hmm. in terms of what he was accepting and, and able to do. Like moral compass is lifted a little bit. And in the name of country and service to the government, he's making those big decisions. You know, yeah. He's he's done some dark things and he it keeps him up at night. That gun that he made mm-hmm. that took that takes away mutant powers. Well, now he's on the other side and he's making some dark stuff for his people. And I feel like that's maybe what's making him a little bit more at ease with it. Yeah. But yeah, that opening quote is just so perfect for this issue and the ideas in it. I think Josh killed this. I, I think the too. Yeah. action sequences were so extreme. Uh, I mentioned the the tweet of the character poses, and I just there were so many things swirling in my mind after this issue. I just felt like this is Jerry 
hitting those big ideas Mm -hmm. and then to see you know we we had the format of year one this kind of like hey here's a villain and here's we're seeding some bigger villains and hey here's a villain and we're seeing like we get an arc with this yeah there's a couple of issues telling this vault story yeah and that's exciting to have a different type of story and a build of what could even be further revealed right and I'm remembering, you know, us going to Terrificon and to to see Josh and to talk to him. And for, I just, right now, my brain just went back to picturing his face when he said, well, we're going into the vault. Yeah. And just like the joy and excitement and the like, mm, you know, and like you think about what we love so much about Joshua's art when we were talking about Wolverine was like his ability to really really bring out the carnage and the destruction and the detail and like all of these gritty things and knowing that the vault is such a crazy place and seeing how excited he was about it um you know and he did give us a sneak peek of that page where forge's hand gets chopped Mm. off yeah when we were there so like seeing that fully realized was super cool and and just knowing Knowing how excited he was, knowing how excited Jerry was when we talked to him about what was happening just makes me really excited about where this is all going to go. Yeah. No, this is... And also knowing from our interview that this had been a dream of Josh's to be on the X-Men book. Right. And now he's doing it and crushing it. Remspring, I come in for Forge. What the hell? Hasn't Caliban been through enough? Which, I mean, you know, he was a Morlock. Horsemen of Apocalypse, multiple times manipulated by the Hellfire Club, seizures, abused. Like, well, what is his power? What is Caliban's power? To detect mutants. Okay. And so that's it, what Forge is using instead of making a machine that could do it so, for some reason. Right. So I wonder, like, what's the difference between, obviously, he just used the store of, like, the storage of Mystique's DNA to create the ability for his suit to be able to become someone else, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? Why didn't he just, as you just said, why didn't he just use Caliban's power to create something? Why does he need actual Caliban? I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, I think that that will be further explored in the next issue that we see on the cover, the face. And maybe it's to have that conversation yeah, and, or two. is it like, is it actually Caliban or is it just like a portion of Caliban's consciousness? And that's like Caliban is somewhere just sort of like in a stasis bubble while Forge has him yeah. impl- uh, implanted in this it's suit. The, it's the fact that Caliban has memories of when they right. were meeting that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah it's definitely. Un- it's like, yo, your face is on a shirt. Yeah. How did you get in there? <laughs> I mean, Rodro is saying, poor Caliban. I wanted him back in the books, but not like this. Right. Yeah. Michael Fox wants to know how disgusted are we with Forge about his abuse of Caliban? <laughs> yeah, I guess like when I was reading it, I didn't I didn't really remember who Caliban was because I didn't ha- I haven't had a lot of exposure to him as a character, so I didn't really process it as strongly at first, but y'all are right, like this is highly messed up. This unknowing like how did I get here? How am I on your shirt? Yeah. So Gray Malkin Lane starting that conversation. Forge as a parallel to Sinister and Beast. Mm. Discuss. Right. And we've been talking about it throughout. But it's just 
Sinister does what he wants for himself. Mm -hmm. Beast does what he wants for what he believes is the betterment of Krakoa. Forge does what he thinks he can and should do for the benefit of Krakoa in conversation with who he believes is the leader of Krakoa. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think Forge is more, I'm going to do what I'm told to do and I'm just going to turn my eyes away from what I'm doing a little bit where Beast and Sinister do it for the glory and the power of saying they're the ones who did it. Like, I don't think Forge wants the credit for what he's doing. He's sure. just doing what needs to be done, where those two want the credit. Yeah. You know? And I think that's what's the most interesting in sort of comparing them all is their motives for doing what they're doing. And also, I feel like there would be a point at least I would hope that there would be a point that Forge would say, oh, this is a little too far, where the other two would be like, ooh, would, I can do that. Right. I will do that. Where it's exactly the question that Forge says at the beginning of the issue. It's like, I can do that, but should I do that? Sure. And, and so seeing where does he make that call. Right. And to have that, to not want to perpetuate their own genosha onto right. another people, I feel like that's good because you're having someone at least have that dialogue and potentially mm -hmm. keep him in check. Right. Because I feel like that's the machinations of Beast is just, well, for the greater good. You right, know, I right. Am, I am just doing what I need to do. And Sinister is just doing whatever he wants to do. Right. For the greater good in Beast's, in Beast's eyes is what makes Krakoa the superpower, what makes Krakoa the dominant, yeah. you know, the dictator of the world, essentially. Sure. And I don't think Forge sees it that way. So I'd be interested to see if and when Forge draws a line. BMCG2 wasn't disappointed with the art in the X-Men book. I know it's tough to replace Pepe. Which, yeah. You know, I think they've been seeding that for a little while, especially when Pepe had a handful of fill-in artists throughout year one. And I actually really love the approach that they're doing now where a set group of artists are taking different arcs. So it feels like, okay, you, you don't have the one team that's like, okay, they're they're the, the artists mm -hmm. of this book, but you now have known properties, known, I, known styles for different arcs of the book. I agree that Pepe is big shoes to fill. However, and this is just my personal opinion, everyone can have their own opinions on art, Joshua's art and Pepe's art are on the same level in my mind. I don't feel like Pepe is the end-all, be-all of X-Men art and that nobody else lives up to that art. I think Pepe's art is incredible, but I also think Joshua Casara's art is incredible. And I don't – I never – had a fear knowing that oh, no. Josh was coming onto the book being like, I won't like no, the I was art excited. as much. I was excited to have him step up into that and to having loved, even from the start of X-Force, really loved what he was doing there. And then, to, all right, yeah, let's go. Let's go, yeah. X-Men. I think, and maybe like if I had an opportunity to talk to Pepe and I knew his process and could appreciate his love for his, I'm sure he loves what he does. And like, I'm not questioning that by any means, but getting a deeper having a deeper connection with Josh as an artist and seeing the the time and the energy that he puts into what he does and knowing the the sort of prep work that he does also makes me appreciate his work even more you sure. know Warline is calling out the fact that Darwin is in the vault but we've seen him resurrected with Laura 
Was that an error or are there multiple Lauras and Darwins? Ones in the vault and ones that are running around on Krakoa. I think Laura died. I don't think Laura is... The Laura of the vault died, yes. That Laura died. I do think we're going to have multiple Darwins. Mm. And I, I, we didn't talk about it, but just the points that the team's bringing up about how Darwin's feelings are going to be changed, having been in the vault for however long it's been, having mm-hmm. been left by the mutants. I also think that Forge is not, he's giving them information, but he's not giving them all of the information. Classic and I think Forge. there has to be some sort of proof or evidence that Darwin is alive inside the vault to for, this. for yeah. them to take this step. Like, I don't think for, like, I think Beast or Sinister might be like, no, let's just go in and assume. But I think Forge needs some sort of scientific evidence or proof so that he can can say, I'm going in there to look for Darwin because I know that Darwin is alive in there. Yeah. LV Duart is glad that the beginning of X-Men was a fake out. He can't stand overpowered takeovers anymore. Right. Yes. And that's how I felt too. Like I was like, oh. Here we go again. Here we go again. But then I was like, nope, nope. This is just a, this is a life of Moira situation. Right. Which I think was a cool way to deliver that. Mm -hmm. Like this could To show you like these are the things, spirits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're just very Christmas Carol today. Mike Loves Mariah Carey asks, is X-Men a three arc? Is Wolverine alive? Is Darwin gonna be mad? Gonna be bad now? Forge wore it better than Moira. Ooh, yeah. So I am not sure how many issues this arc is. Josh is on the book for the next three issues after this issue. Mm. I don't know if it's going to still deal with this story, but the fact that the fourth issue, the last one that we know the cover of, is the one of Sink coming in. I feel like, and yeah. the fact that he's on the sidelines, he's going to go back for Forge because yeah. something's going to happen. Yeah, and he, it's going to be like Sink's going to need to save the day because he knows the vault. He knows the vault. He has the skills. And it, there's just, this is a big story. I am I fear that at the end of this, the 500-year-old Sink will not make it out. And be gone as a character? Or? No, just will be finally resurrected. Oh, but I mean, they, it's just the backup that they have of him right, is the 500 true. years, right? Yeah. So he's hes reborn in the husk Already. that is yeah, a couple yeah. times. Okay. Yeah, never mind. Okay, forget what I said. I said it, but it's invalid. Yeah. And Forge <laughs> definitely did wear it better than Moira. Yeah. <laughs> just, that's, like, because it's not an actual skinning. Well, <laughs> well we, don't don't know. Know. we don't know. We don't know. Actually, you're right. You're right. You're right. We don't know. Oh, that was Sugar. A, a whole lot. Yeah. You want to know what's coming next week? Yeah, tell me. AXE X-Men number one. Ooh, that one I'm excited about. With Gene on the cover. AXE Star Fox number one. Okay. Also by Kieran. X-Men Red number seven. Marauders number seven. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And that's it for right now. Okay, X-Men Red. Yeah, Marauders. We'll see. I mean, the last issue of Marauders was probably my favorite so far, but yeah, I, I don't know. Your favorite so far of Marauders. Steve Orlando? Yeah, 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 right. Just clarify. The Marauders have rescued the last survivor of Threshold from certain death. No. We're going into the Threshold stories. Exciting stuff. Well, whew, we did it. Now, back to cosplay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, if you're going to be at New York Comic Con, shoot us a message. Uh, let us know. And if we can say hey, we'll say hey. Um, we're going to be hanging out with some 
awesome people. And we're going to have an Age of Apocalypse group together on the Saturday. We're going to have some magic wielders on the Friday. Um, as far as cosplay is concerned, Captain Kate will be making an appearance on Thursday. And Sunday, it'll be just me. Just Justin and Alicia. Just people but also on saturday like we've been promoting on our socials yes. bar sinister yes happy the... hour for any fan of the x-men with five other podcasts teaming up yeah it's gonna be a really good time whether you drink alcohol or do not drink alcohol come hang out with us i don't drink and i'll be there so you know we'd love for you to come hang say hi party x-men style with us and just nerd <laughs> out <laughs> so yeah uh, hope to see you at New York Comic Con and thanks for being awesome supporters of the pod. Until next time, old friend. Charles, what are you and Forge doing? Bad things. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. <laughs>